Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track from managing your motivation, workload, and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeetings.com slash tips. Okay, James, we are continuing the podcast. I'm amazed that we've been doing this every week when there haven't been games for two months. Two months? Yeah, two months. The podcast is unkillable, Jonas. We're gonna be doing <laughs> it. We're gonna be doing it from a bunker when there's nuclear fallout from what you know, whatever happens in the U.S. That's it. This podcast is. We did it during the lockout when there was no hockey, and we're gonna do it as long as there isn't hockey. So, you know, and, and I think people are still listening. So, you know, our numbers are. Our numbers are relatively good, so. Do we change the name, like, when we get to that point, when we're in the bunker recording it, to, like, the Apocalypse apocalypse Report or something? No, we just, no, it's just always going to be the Leaf Report, even if there's, <laughs> and we're just going to keep talking about roster construction and <laughs> salary cap analysis, and we'll be speculating on what the cap will be when there's no revenue because the world's gone through nuclear war. And <laughs> <laughs> Do you become a UFA if, if you're not, you know? Anyway, yeah. What the 2030 Leafs might look like. If you're in a bomb shelter, are you are you eligible for a new contract or Oh, good times. All black, right. Black, um black humor. Do you want to talk about anything that's kind of going on with the the league and coming back and any of that stuff? Any of that 
interest you or do you want to just like well, dive into Leafs? So it looks like baseball's coming back, right? Like they seem to be the most aggressive. They they're in a weird situation because their season didn't start on time and they haven't played yeah. a season and it might almost be harder for baseball to walk away because like basketball the NFL got their full season in. Um, basketball and, and hockey got 80% of a season in. So they have a lot of the revenue that they needed. Um, baseball didn't get anything from their season. So it seems like they're going to be more and, and baseball's outside and there's sort of physical distancing, right? Like naturally, like the bases are far apart and stuff like that. Like it's not, it's yes not, it's, no, not when you're standing on first base and the first baseman's right beside you. Yeah. But maybe there's a way that they can. Put a shield up. Maybe. I don't know. Like maybe the first baseman wears a hazmat suit when he's there. and then <laughs> <laughs> It all seems like way too – I get it. Like you have to prepare for coming back, but it just seems so um, like optimistic that all that is going to be possible. But I guess that's what you do. Um, well, do you know. know why they're so optimistic and they're so aggressive trying to come back? Money? Yeah, that's exactly why. But I just don't like. It's nice to to make these plans, but like it doesn't seem all that logical. So I but, was think, I was thinking about this the other day, and I still might write something about this. But like, do you think that there's enough? Like, I look at hockey, and it's like, is there enough money at stake to play the playoffs that it makes sense? Like, because without fans in the building, yeah, it's like that's actually a really good question that I have not heard asked enough. Because the, the NHL is getting such a huge part of its revenue from tickets, right? So there's no tickets for playoffs. It's just TV, right? It's just well, TV look at the AHL. The AHL's like, if we can't have fans, oh, it's done. And it's just gone. Like, the AHL's over. There's no playoffs. There's no rest of the season. But they don't have the TV angle, obviously. Yeah, but, uh, like, have you seen NHL's TV deal? It's, like, so you're going right. to bring back, like, hundreds and hundreds of players and put them in remote locations. And, like, you know how expensive that's going to be? If NHL players are living in hotels for months, and that's just for, to satisfy your TV deal, which isn't that big, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. I, it's make something I got. I think I should probably write that at some point. But I think so too. It's just like with especially hockey, with all the risks, James. Like and all the yeah. things you can't. Yeah, plan yeah, for. yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to diminish that. That's obviously part of the story too. It's there's the cost and there's the lack of money that it generates. And then there's the, the health risks. Like it was, there was a, did you see there was a baseball pitcher on Twitter yesterday? I think he pitches for the nationals. I can't remember his name. He had kind of a unique name. Anyway, he, he was tweeting about all of his concerns with coming back and why are we being, you know, the athletics been reporting on the baseball side. I don't know if you've been reading it. They're getting really close to determining when they're coming back and, that yeah. it, it sounds like they're going to play games relatively soon. And then this player was like, hold on, like, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I wish I could find that and read it out. Now I sound like an idiot because I don't know who I'm talking about, but um, maybe I'll tweet it out later. There's, Tyler, our producer says it's Sean Doolittle. Yeah. Okay. So been Sean, their closer. So, oh, his Twitter name is weird because it's Obi Sean Kenobi Doolittle. He's a closer. He's a character. All right. Here, hold on. I'm bringing it up. Holy cow. This thread is very long. Okay, he says, "Bear with me, but it, it feels like we've zoomed past the most important. We've zoomed past the most important aspect of any, M M any MLB restart plan: health protections for players, families, staff, stadium workers, and the workforce. It would be required to resume a season. Here are some things I'll be looking for in the proposal." Um, he talks a lot about the long-term damage that coronavirus can do to people's lungs. Um, he talks about uh, how easily it spreads. 
He talks about testing. Um, he talks about how Dr. Fauci talked about in an NFL season, how easily it could spread between athletes. Um, and, and so Sean Doolittle says, how many tests do we need to safely play during a pandemic? And not just tests for players. Baseball requires a massive workforce besides the players. Coaches, clubhouse staff, security, grounds crew, umpires, game day staff, TV, media. We need to protect everybody. And that's before we get to hotel workers and transportation workers, pilots, flight attendants, bus drivers. They're essential workers. We wouldn't be able to play a season without them, and they deserve the same protections as that we get. Um, if you consider the level of risk we're willing to assume, uh, 80% of cases would be mild, but what if a player or a staff member or a family member or an auxiliary worker gets a case that's in the other 20% and they develop uh, severe symptoms or chronic issues? Anyway, it's super interesting. It's, it's, it's really well done. And I'm. I wonder if any NHL players will talk out, speak out like that. Some I've heard. I've heard from some players that are saying stuff like this. Not not to this detail, but players are saying expressing some reservations privately. But I wonder if hockey players are a bit more um, by the book and a bit more guarded and aren't going to be putting that kind of stuff on Twitter. But there are definitely some players that fans would know that have been like, I don't know if I really want to do this. So. Well, didn't you have you had Philip Deneau, uh Yeah, say essentially that to Frank Saravalli, and that's the people are saying like, "Oh, his team's out of the playoffs, and like his team's not competitive." And there are there are players on good teams that are that are like they don't want to be away from their families for two or three months and potentially be at health risk. And then, like I said, you look at the financial implications and 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 the amount of money that is at stake. And on the hockey side, it's like it's a lot of money, like. In general, but for hockey, it's not a lot of money. Like it's not, it's not a lot of money. Like how much money are they playing these playoff games for? Yeah. Well, and like the, I think it was I was listening to I think it was Bill Simmons' podcast, and they were talking about who are you coming back for? And it's like really for who? Like it's it's coming back so rich people can make money. That said, like there's all these people who work off sports, like us, like arena workers. So like there's a whole other. I don't know. I don't know what's the right call. As long as people keep reading our stuff and don't cancel their subscriptions, we're going to be fine. So, you know, so far everything's been pretty good and we appreciate the support, but you're right. I mean, there's a like, think about all the people we see at the arena, every, like all the staff we see in the press box and on, on the way into the building and, yeah. you know, everyone that works in all the food services and all the restaurants. And like, there's a lot of people that don't have work right now. So, um, but that doesn't mean you're, you rush into anything. So. You know, this is that's that's more of a question of a societal question of when we get back to normal. And I was reading something and it said the first step is that they have to get like the schools and the daycare centers open because people can't go back to work if their kids aren't don't have anywhere to go. So, you know, they're kind of waiting on. I mean, it looks like this whole entire school year is going to get canceled here soon. I mean, we're running up. What's, against what's, the, What would be the reason? Sorry, James, to not start saying if you're the league. Let's ensure that next year, like we make sure we do next year right and be less concerned with this year. Is it because next year you can't, you're you're kind of in the same boat in that you don't know if you're going to have fans, you don't know when you're going to be able to start. So at least you're almost done this year. You try to finish it and then come back next it's, year somehow. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's the same reason you said off the top. It's, it's, it's the financial side of it. You know, if the NHL walks away, they leave. <clears throat> they're probably going to have to pay their TV partners back uh, a percentage of the deal. Um, 
they're going to lose. They're going to lose out on some money if if they don't come back and play the playoffs, and so they don't want to give up on that until. And the other thing too is, I'm sure this is happening. The NHL is looking, and they're like, "Well, baseball's planning on coming back, NBA's planning on coming back, uh, golf's starting up. You know, these other sports are going to be playing. We're not going to give up the season if if everyone else is planning on coming back." And I think it's going to take one of the other leagues to pull the plug on the year before the NHL. Like the NHL is not going to be first and cancel their season before everybody else. Yeah, it feels like they would follow what the NBA does. But yeah, I and they they often they often do. Yeah, well, the NBA canceled or paused their season, and then the NHL did it the next day, right? Yeah. All right. Enough depressing, pessimistic talk. Let's talk Leafs. The Leafs of twenty twenty five. What's the roster going to look like? All right. So, <laughs> you and I both did UFA stories um kind of looking ahead to this theoretical offseason whenever the hell it is uh you looked at the forwards i looked at the defensemen so what i thought we could do is go through some of the names on in both positions i like the way that you kind of broke your your list uh into parts so i thought what i was going to ask you to do is is pick a player from each part so some of the, the the parts that you had was affordable depth you had reclamation projects so let's go through and, and kind of look at some of the guys that most interested you, and then we'll look to a few of the guys hold, on hold D. Hold on, D Jonas. Is a little, hold on, what? Jonas. Like one of the questions that a lot of people get is when we talk about free agency and the Leafs, people were like, they don't have cap space. Like, why are we talking about free agency? They don't have, they have a full roster. Okay. They don't have any money. How are they yep. going to, like, that's a, that's the response I got when, the, you know, you wrote about acquiring a UFA defenseman. I wrote about acquiring a UFA forward. And the fans are like, what are you guys talking about? Like, the Leafs can't acquire It was anything. literally off the top. We both explained it, that they, they're going to have to clear space. Yeah. But, but like, I think that that kind of – I think that the reason that it, it makes sense is that there's going to be players available in free agency who are going to be cheaper than players the Leafs have on the roster. Because free agency is going to squeeze a whole bunch of guys into smaller contracts. So you could potentially sign a defenseman or a forward for a contract that's going to be a lot less than you – had previously expected just because yes. of how, how tight the cap situations are around the league. So it kind of makes sense actually for the Leafs, if they can, to free up a little bit of cap space, become a player in free agency and, and get some of these bargain guys. I mentioned Jason Spezza off the top, but in an ideal world, you get someone who's doesn't cost you a lot of money who can play an even bigger role than Jason Spezza did for them this year. Well, and this was something Kyle Dubas mentioned it. Like when I talked to him for the story about, was it about Barabanov? Yeah, it was about Barabanov. He just said like, hopefully we're a destination for some players in free agency who might not get the value that they originally thought they were going to get and might see us, he said, as an option. And I think that that's what makes it interesting. It's like, James, you've been in like lots of like fantasy hockey or whatever, auctions or whatever and you get to the end of the draft and like only a couple people have money and the market's tight and suddenly you come away with this guy who's like really cheap and you're like how did i just get this guy for like two dollars that's that's what we're looking at here yes yes i mean there's just there's going to be players that aren't going to get the contracts that they want and everybody knows this you talk to agents right now you talk to players right now they know that for agency is going to be really tough there's going to be a lot of one-year deals there's going to be a lot of low money so as it stands now with the roster the Leafs have, no, they can't be a player in free agency. They can't do anything. They can't, you know, they, they've got less than no money. They're going to be in probably negative cap space once they sign Mikheyev and once they sign uh, Travis Dermott and Freddie Goche's an RFA and Dennis Mulligan. And I mean, maybe they don't bring both those guys back. But the point being, 
they don't have cap space to be a player in free agency, but they could. I mean, you can you can either you can exceed the salary cap in the summer, so they could go over if they want. They could sign mm-hmm. some players that they feel like have good contracts, and then figure it out before the season starts. Um, or they could trade someone before free agency, and then they've got some money. And the obvious target is going to be Andreas Janssen, maybe uh, Kasperi Kapanen. Um, although oh, maybe you, you definitely. Well, it, it, it's not for sure they're going to trade him. So um, no, but I'm talking like if you're if there are other teams out there, he's number one on the hit list. Not yeah. Janssen. You're going to want to get. Yeah, the thing with Janssen is I think you could trade him away for like a draft pick, and you're you'd sure. be you'd yeah. be you'd be okay with it. That frees up about three and a half million dollars, um, and you can either spend that on a defenseman. You could spend that on maybe you get a two million dollar defenseman and a one and a half million dollar forward. Maybe you know, like it, it, it could it could help you increase your depth, especially if there are people available in free agency. You know, if you can get a pretty good third line player for one and a half million in free agency. Why are you paying Andreas Janssen three and a half million? Well, and I think that's the important point. Like, you don't want to just give away Andreas Janssen. He's a good player, but he, we might get to a world where three point four million for Andreas Janssen isn't good value anymore. The world's changing fast. Like, if the cap's not going to go up for like four years or whatever, then all of a sudden those yeah. contracts aren't as great as they could have been. I mean, I think we were thinking that the cap was going to continue to go up. You know, and we were going to be looking at a ninety million, ninety-two million dollar cap in a couple of years, but that's not going to happen now. So, you know, the the world's changed, and I just there's going to be teams that would want an Andreas Janssen that that really lack talent. Like if you're the Anaheim Ducks or the New Jersey Devils or you know some team that needs forwards, and you're way under the cap, you're not going to be that worried about three and a half million. But the Leafs have to worry about it right now. Okay, let's look at some of the. The players that you have. So in the affordable depth category, uh, you can pick out which players you want to talk about. I'll, I'll tell people, if you haven't read it, go read it at The Athletic. But you had Kyle Clifford, Tyler Ennis, Josh Levo, Patrick Maroon, Jesper Faust, and Matt Nieto. Which of those guys kind of really interests you? Uh, after looking at the numbers, I thought that um, Jesper Faust could be really interesting. He's a guy that doesn't get talked about a lot around the league but mm-hmm. you know kind of his underlying numbers are really good and he's fast and he's good defensively and he produces a little bit of offense and I don't know what kind of contract he's going to get but there's an example of a guy who could be you know as good or better than Andreas Johnson for less money than Andreas Johnson so those are the kind of those are the kind of things I was looking for on this list and another guy that I've always liked is Patrick Maroon I don't know what you think about him but like I think that if you know, I th- he's not making a lot of money in Tampa this year, but, you know, he's a guy that can chip in with 25 points and be a big physical presence. And I think he's got a little bit more skill than someone like Kyle Clifford. And, you know, th- yeah. these are these are guys, if they're available for a million and a half dollars, that they make a lot of sense for the Leafs to look at. Maroon's kind of like a better version of Clifford. Uh, I like Nieto. Nieto's always kind of interesting to me just because he kind of fits the way the Leafs play. He's fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's, and, and he's, he can, he, he's like a good, um, he's got good hockey sense. He just hasn't yeah. produced much offense. He hasn't produced as much offense as people were expecting for him because he was, you know, he was a big time scorer in college when he was drafted and that's just never happened at the NHL level. But maybe the Leafs just get a bunch of these fast, smart guys and they don't have to pay them a lot of money and, 
that that complements what they've got on their on their roster already. Well, I do think that is one of the things when or the elements when when what Kyle Dubas wants in a player that that gets overlooked is the first thing people talk about is skill. But I think right there is smarts. Like he doesn't he wants players who can make decisions under pressure. Like yep. they want high IQ guys. And you look at like even the guys they've drafted, uh like Rasmus Sandin, you can just watch him and you can see he has a natural feel for the game. Same thing with Nick Robertson. Um I do wonder just to to go back to one other guy on this group, Josh Levo. He kind of found what we thought he might find in Vancouver. Like he he's a decent depth player. Could you see like him being an upgrade on, I don't know, let's use Janssen as an example, if he costs you half as much? Yeah. I mean, I think that if the cap, yeah, if the cap reality is is like that, then I think that that's probably makes a lot of sense. But I, I, I put Josh Levo on this list just because he's kind of an interesting guy to talk about. I don't actually think that he's going to come back. I think that you know, this is the first time he's going to be UFA. Vancouver really likes him. I think that he's probably going to have bigger offers than make sense for the Leafs. But I think, you know, a lot of this list is like, here's here's 20 guys that we should talk about that could be potential options. I mean, maybe if Levo can't find the contract he wants, then maybe he looks at Toronto. But um, I, I have a hard time seeing, seeing it working out that way. Although, I mean, he was hurt most of this year. And I think that that's really going to hurt the kind of contract that he can get. So... All right, let's look at the reclamation projects because that's that is one thing I do know about Dubis is he kind of likes looking at these guys who have lost some of their sheen and and taking a chance. The one that that kind of interested me uh was Derek Broussard mm-hmm. um just as like a one-year kind of option for that mm-hmm. third line center position. What did you what do you make of him or anybody else kind of in this bracket? Well, that's kind of what Derek Broussard did with the Islanders, right? Is he took the one-year deal for $1.2 million and he had a, a relatively solid season. And, I mean, he's kind of bounced around a bunch. It didn't really work out in Pittsburgh. He was with Ottawa. He was kind of all over the place. I mean, I think that if he's a really cheap third or fourth line center, I think he makes a lot of sense for the Leafs. Again, like, I, I don't know what contract he's going to be able to get. I don't know how in demand he's going to be on the market. But that could be a guy that, you know, we could be – a week or 10 days into free agency and he's sitting there without a contract and Leafs could go and be like, here's a million dollars, come play with our really good players and, you know, have a good season and and we'll go from there. And so, but I, I, I think it's interesting. The Leafs still need more centers. They need more guys that yes. can play. They need more guys that can play center. So, you know, the, the part of the problem with all of their wingers is they're, they can't play center. So this wouldn't necessarily be a move where you're saying we don't like Alex Kerfoot. It could just be, we like Kerfoot, to play on the wing and at center sometimes. And this gives us, and then if, then if someone gets hurt, like if Matthews or Tavares gets hurt, you've got another center that you can, you know, move up the lineup or a guy that you can move over from the wing to center. Like they, they just need more players that can play center ice. So I was trying to look for those types in free agency. There aren't a ton of them. There are a few, but I could see the Leafs deciding we need more guys that can play down the middle and we need more guys that can play down the middle and potentially play, up the lineup. So like not, not fourth line center guys. Well, I think that's something that Tampa has done really well is they have all these mm-hmm. guys who can kind of bounce between center and the wing. And I've, I don't know why it's probably just cause they look alike and they're both the same size, but like, I kind of started thinking of Kerfoot as like a poor man's Tyler Johnson and Tyler Johnson is a guy who played some center, played a lot of wing, like he bounces around, but you're right. Like I'm looking, we're working on these, these draft primers, as you know, to get set for the draft 
And it, like organizationally, one of the questions we're asking is like, an or, uh, what's their biggest need? And I don't, I, I just don't think a, uh, a Dubas front office is going to draft for what the organization needs today. But like you can look at big picture, they could use more centers in the organization. Like you look with the Marlies right now. They don't really have like no. someone you could call up and play on your third line. Like Adam Brooks is is probably at best a fourth line center if he gets to the NHL. They could use that in their pipeline, and and I think they're trying. But you can see it in situations like this with Kerfoot not like fitting seamlessly at center. And depth at center ice is really important in the NHL, and the Leafs have obviously something that a lot of teams are envious of with two of the best centers. Yes, in the on their but they don't have depth at center, and they don't have guys who can fill in there like if you're running if your options at center are Goche and Spezza down the lineup you're not really comfortable if they have to play higher than the fourth line center spot so that yeah that limits you somewhat and and you do see good teams that have guys on the wing who can come and play at center and and vice versa you know one of the things Broussard's not great on the wing so that limits his versatility a little bit but I I just think that this is something the Leafs have to look at and I wonder if they address it potentially with some sort of a bargain buy in free agency. Well, another one of those reclamation projects, Connor Sheary is interesting just because he does have the history of being a fit with Crosby. Like, I don't know how much you want to make of that. Like Crosby's Crosby. Crosby can turn decent players into good players, but like you can picture a world where you put him with Matthews, you put him with Tavares, like you mentioned in the piece and he fits. Was he someone who kind of stuck out to you? He, yeah, and I mean, he's a good skater. He's really, really small. I mean, that's one potential concern with him. But perfect. That, that could also mean that he doesn't get a really big contract, you know, that he doesn't have a lot of suitors. And I, I think, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of interesting forwards available in free agency this year. So it'll be, it'll be kind of fascinating if everyone expects the Leafs to try and get a defenseman. But what if they decide, like, you, you know, Lawrence Gilman, the... Leafs assistant GM spoke to the media yesterday and he said that he thinks Timothy Logren should be in the NHL next year. And you look at all of the defensemen that they've got. I know we're going to talk about defensemen here briefly, I think, if we have time. Um, mm-hmm. You look at all the defensemen that they've got, maybe there's maybe they feel like they don't need to add another defenseman. Maybe they think uh, Lettinen and Sandine and Rosen and Lilgren and Dermott and all of these guys can play NHL minutes and maybe they want to allocate some of their some of their cap spend to uh, to forwards and and to giving them a little bit more depth, which was clearly an issue when they ran into injuries this year. Well, I don't know how you don't go into the off season, whatever the hell that is, and we should talk about that on a future pod. Like what, how crazy that off season is going to be. Well, we don't know. Um, but I don't know how we're talking but, about free agency. We don't know if it's in July or September, or October, or what's going to happen. So yeah, I don't even know how you plan for it. Like, how do you know? Well, you, it's we don't even know if we're gong show. We don't even know if we're supposed to write about it right now or not. But we're doing it anyway. We're like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like we don't know if there's going to be free agency, but we're going to write about it anyway. So, well, the Lilligren stuff, like I think um, Gilman said, like seven or eight, and that's kind of where it looks like if they don't do anything, he's like their seventh or eighth. But he's not eligible uh, for waivers, so what's the point in making him your eighth? eighth oh, he'll be in the Marlies. Yeah. yeah, he'll be in the Marlies. That'll be Marinchin's spot. That's his eighth. music. Quote unquote eighth defenseman means you're a really good player with the Marlies. So I didn't like Lilgren played whatever he what did he get six games or something like that with the eleven Leafs? games eleven yeah like I didn't I didn't see anything that Sandine looks a lot more ready than he does right now so 
Um, long shots. There weren't really any of the long shots on your board that interested me. Any that interested you? Well, I mean, like, I like some of these players a lot. Like, you know, Dadanov and Craig Smith and Granlund. And these are, these are good players. It's just they're going to need contracts that are bigger than what the Leafs can afford. Like, like I think Craig Smith's going to live up to a three and a half or $4 million contract, but you're getting into guys here where they're going to get a lot of money. They're older guys. You got to worry about them potentially declining. They're just, they're not the right fit for the Leafs, but I wanted to put them on there just to, you know, as a kind of thought experiment to show Leafs fans who might potentially be available and, the the thing these guys are going to take up spots that other, where other teams really need a forward, and then that might leave some of the other people that we're talking about without a destination. So musical chairs, James. Yeah, it's like a hierarchy, right? Free agency is always. It's like what you're talking about. People are going to spend all of their money on the Hoffmans and Dadanov and Smith and and Granlins, and then you know there's going to be a, a Colin Wilson or a Derek Brassard that falls to the Leafs that's not making a lot of money. All right, we're going to get to Josh Cloak in a, in a few minutes to talk about uh, the story that he wrote about Cody Franson, but let's finish the forwards and then quickly kind of look through some of the D. I, I was interested by some of the former stars that you had, two in particular, Thornton and Kovalchuk. Um, if you were picking between the two, who would you pick? It's going to depend what else the Leafs do, but I like the idea of getting more centers on the team. So, you know... That's tough, though. I don't know how much Joe Thornton still has in the tank. Like, he didn't have a great year, but also the Sharks weren't very good. And I wonder if Thornton can play on your third-line center at times and your fourth-line center at times. And maybe he can be a guy that can – and he can help your power play a little bit. And, and, and That Kovalchuk, feels like Jason Spezza. I'm not sure you need two yeah, of those. Yeah. Well, maybe you need, like, ten of them, and you just, like – they all just fight for <laughs> ice – they all just fight for ice time. Um, Page match. And Kovalchuk looked really good in Washington and Montreal when he went there and – I, I don't know. I mean, uh, the Leafs don't seem super interested in Kovalchuk. I thought they should have looked at him last year when the Kings were trying to get rid of him. But um, the thing that I think is interesting about Kovalchuk is just that the Leafs are bringing in these Russian guys who don't speak the language very well, Barabanov, Mikheyev. I think if you could get like a veteran Russian guy into the into the roster somehow, I think that it could really benefit those guys. He could be like leader of the Russians, Leo Komarov 2.0. Well, they could make a, a line. They could make a line of Russians. They could go Kovalchuk, Mikheyev at center, and Barabanov. And then they just need a couple of Russian defensemen, and then they could do like the Russian five. And then they can win all those Stanley Cups the same way the Red Wings did. I love it. All right, let's look at a few of the D. Um, there's only a few that really fit to me. Uh, Chris Tanev, I would be terrified of the injury stuff. Uh, he's 30. Um, but you seem to think like, you seem to think like he, his fit, um, and the potential to get him cheap might make him someone who, who works for the least. Like you put him next to Riley and that kind of fits. Well, Chris Tanev's really good defensively. Like he's, he's hurt a lot and that like, if he wasn't hurt a lot, he would be even more valuable, but I just wonder if maybe you can get, and, and I, I think he's from Toronto, right? Or he's from GTA. He's a GTA guy. Maybe yep. there's a guy that, that thinks, you know, I'm willing to come to Toronto for a little bit less because I'm playing close to home. And and I don't know. I mean, he's a fit because he's a right shot D. He's a veteran guy. He's very good defensively. He's he's low maintenance. Um, and maybe you get him in with your sports science people and you feel like you can rebuild him a little bit. Maybe you can load manage him a little bit and not play him every single game. 
I just think, I mean, it depends on the contract. You know, if it's a shorter term contract and it's not a huge amount of money, then I'm really interested in Kristanov. Whereas if you have to give him term and you have to give him a lot of money, then I'm not interested. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. Well, you wonder, like, Vancouver's in a spot where they've got those big uh, second contracts for Pedersen and, and Hughes that they're going to have to, like, start thinking about, just like the Leafs in the past. So you wonder if he's, like, one of those guys that does get squeezed. And another guy, like, actually two other guys in that kind of realm, TJ Brody, Travis Hamanick. I think we can conclude that Hamanick probably doesn't want to play in Toronto, but Brody, obviously we saw that the organization tried to get him last year. Do you still think, like, he fits for what they need or or do you are you kind of turned off by anything well brody had the kind of the health scare last year and he didn't really have a great season in calgary so i would just be the only thing i would worry about with him is just like is is there a, is there some decline happening in his game mm-hmm. is is he becoming an older defenseman and the other thing i worry about is what's the cost and what's the term but another guy who's you know from he's an ontario guy and you know, potentially could be a fit coming back. And I think it's going to depend on what the contract looks like. You know, I don't think I want to give him 4.6 million like he had in his last deal. So is he willing no. to take a, take a little bit less to come play for the Leafs? And I would want to look long and hard at his, his year last year and try and figure out what, um, try and figure out, you know, if he is on the decline or not. Well, all the, the underlying numbers for a while have pointed to the fact that he's better obviously when he plays with Giordano and worse when he doesn't how much (laughs) would that stuff freak you out or would you just say like that's that's kind of the conclusion I came to is that's what happens like when you play with a really good defender they tend to make you better yeah so I mean you would just want to know that when he's not playing with Giordano and if you're playing him with Muzzin or Riley Riley. whatever you know that you would want to know that they can similarly prop him up or 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 maybe prop him up is not the right word they can similarly make him better so, yeah. you, I mean, your your list of defensemen is interesting. You got Radko Gudis, you got Justin Schultz, Alex Petrangelo, who they're not going to be able to afford. Uh, Tyson well, wait, Barrett. wait, stop, stop. Let's. I did want to talk about him. I want to talk about him and one other guy. Let's talk about the other guy first. Kevin Shattenkirk like had a sneaky kind of. You love when I use the word sneaky, by the way. Uh, but he had a good year in 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 Tampa. Do you think he'd be too expensive given that he did have kind of a comeback season? Does he even fit? I mean, he's like one of the, he's like, I don't know if he's the kind of defenseman that they need right now. Like Shattenkirk's a guy yeah. that if you use in a more offensive role and you can shelter him a little bit and you can play him, like how many minutes a game did he play this year? He was 19. Uh, well, that's more than I would have expected, but yeah, he's a guy that like you can't play him with an offensive defenseman and, and like, you're just, it's not going to work. And that's what the Rangers found with the contract that they gave Shattenkirk. And I think if you're talking not a lot of dollars and not a lot of term, um, that potentially just getting a veteran guy in there, but like with Shattenkirk, I wouldn't want to give him more than one year. And I'm sure that at his age and given the season he's coming off of, he's going to want to get more than that. So that's going to be the trick for the Leafs is they might not get first pick at, at who they get here. They might kind of have to just take who, gets left without a contract yeah okay last one and then we'll get to josh you mentioned petrangelo he's going to cost obviously a lot but would any part of you just try to the problem with clearing the cap space is you basically have to clear it for futures and you'd have to clear a lot of cap space but i was thinking like if you traded away would any part of you like trade away one of those forwards 
and and either Riley or Anderson to try to get Petrangelo because Riley's obviously a free agent in a couple years. Anderson's up in a year, and you'd kind of lock in Petrangelo for a while, presumably. Like he may not want to play in Toronto. He may not. I don't know. There's all these other factors. But would any of that interest you? Well, who's going to be your goalie? Like I'm, I'm okay with trading Anderson, but I think you got to get another goaltender that's going to play a lot of games. And yeah, I don't know. Like you're not saving a lot of money trading Anderson if you go and acquire another goalie that makes four or five million dollars. You're just it's the same. Like it's not. I think if you, I guess acquire, you go cheap. If you acquire Petrangelo, I think you got to trade one of your big forwards, and I don't think there's any willingness in the front office to do that. I think you got to trade a Marner or a Nylander or Tavares. Yeah. Or, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen because Petrangelo is going to get probably eight and a half million on a long-term deal. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen in this world. Like how many teams are there going to be that, that can spend that money and he'll want to play for? I guess there's teams like Florida, maybe. Mm. Uh, Florida actually doesn't have that much cap space, to be honest. That's part of why they're going to lose Hoffman or Dadanov because they can't afford to keep everyone they got. They So, Flor- so who Florida, is the team that's going to pay him? Well, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be teams that aren't very good that have that money. It's going to be interesting. I'm like, I'm, St. Louis went and spent the money on Scandella and some of these other guys, but yeah, I wonder if there's some sort of a bargain contract that Petrangelo ends up signing on with St. Louis just because that ends up making the most sense in the way that the environment is right now. But it, yeah, it's like a two-year deal or something? Well, or just like a lesser cap hit on a long-term contract than, than he was thinking he was going to get. I mean, there's going to be mm. there's going to be a lot of free agents that have to settle for less than they were expecting. Yeah, and I just wonder if like if we're not including him because he is the number one free agent, but like maybe it'll be the same for him. Like that that eight or seven year contract, eight and a half, nine million, just won't be there. I don't think the stars are the guys that are going to have to take big haircuts. I think it's going to be it's going to be all the third and fourth line and and defensemen. Yeah, you that know, makes sense. Depth defensemen. Those guys are all. There's going to be a lot more players. We've seen this trend already in the NHL, but it's going to happen even more where. You're still going to pay your stars, but there's going to be more and more guys making league minimum or, or close to that. And I mean, when the Leafs started the season, what did they have? Ten guys making under a million bucks. That's that's going to become more normal around the NHL, I think. Hmm. Do we have Josh? I think we have Josh. Yeah. Hey, what's going on, man? What? How are you? We w- we, we are doing great. Yeah, we're we were saying off the podcast, we're keeping it going here, even without hockey. There there will always be Leaf Report. Love it. What are um, we? We've had lots of Leafs coverage over the last couple of weeks. What's kind of a top of mind for you right now, Josh? I mean, I think talking to um, to Greg Moore and to Lawrence Gilman yesterday was interesting. We don't get to hear um, from Lawrence much, assistant, you know, GM with the Leafs and and GM of the Marlies. But I think, and we've kind of talked about this, James. Like, what's what's the status with a lot of these? Um, with a lot of these prospects with the Leafs, like what's going to happen with their development? I mean, how much are they losing out on, you know, canceled seasons, um, both in the CHL and in Europe and, and now in the AHL, you know, what is a player like Nick Robertson miss out on with, you know, 15, 20 games or whatever um, being lost, that kind of thing. What do, you know, how much do the Leafs lose and like kind of not getting a look at at some of their prospects with the Marlies it didn't look like the Marlies were going to make the playoffs 
but that time towards the end of the season is still pretty valuable to understand like what are these players you know can these players contribute to a possible playoff run with the Leafs so I think it was interesting to get some kind of insight from from Greg and from Lawrence about which players really impressed them and and because there's still a lot of questions right there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of like who the Leafs have in their in their prospect pool I mean it's a pretty thin prospect pool compared to where it was a few years ago so what you're looking to do is kind of maximize the talents that you do have and it it seems now like they might have kind of lost out a bit in that regard I mean all teams are going to be affected right but um, I think you know and, and he Greg Moore spoke yesterday about players like Adam Brooks and Christians Rubens and, and players that like I don't think would have warranted a, a look with the Leafs this season by any means but like you know what are you missing out on um, you know with these lost games moving forward because these are players there there are players that might not get a lot of talk outside the organization, but the organization is clearly high on them. Uh, Cali Costola is another one he mentioned. Um, Kenny Agostino, who's, you know, whose name has been kind of up for debate as to whether he deserves a shot with the Leafs. So yeah, and just in terms of prospects, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And I think for me personally, that's been kind of fun or interesting over the last few weeks to dive into these prospects and try and figure out where some of them fit in the future, right? Well, Josh, you and I were talking yesterday kind of, there's some really weird things to think about with with those other leagues other than the NHL. Like, what's junior hockey supposed to do? Like, can they even come back if there's no fans next year? What's the AHL going to do? Like, the AHL in most markets is a gate-driven uh, league. What happens if, if the AHL isn't the AHL that we knew? You know, there's been talk you know, potentially of there not being uh, all of the teams coming back in the AHL or, you know, what if there's not even a, what if they don't have a full league schedule and there's not travel and the development that's being halted right now, it could continue into the rest of the year. So it's, um, there's a lot of question marks around that right now. And I almost wonder if the Leafs are such a, a wealthy organization, if they might be better served than some other teams, because they can kind of, they can foot the bill for the Marlies and, not necessarily worry about the the kind of attendance. I mean, they're used to losing money on the Marlies, so maybe it's right. having maybe having fans in the building isn't isn't the be all and end all for for the organization in terms of the Marlies, but it is for some other organizations. I mean, I, I think all three of us know the importance that the the Leafs place on the Marlies and and the Growlers just in terms of development. And Lawrence Gilman was pretty upfront with that yesterday. In his conference call, essentially saying like that the Marlies are, are economically viable and, and, you know, essentially saying the Marlies aren't going anywhere. And, and David Andrews, the outgoing president of the AHL, said, I believe it was on Hockey Central yesterday, that the AHL could look drastically different next season. So maybe that's, you know, heavy reduction in teams. Like maybe, the, you know, we only see, I don't know, 16, 20 teams, 12 teams. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I mean, it's possible that it does look very different. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here, but maybe that means teams, NHL teams sharing AHL teams to, to make sure that some of their players do get, you know, proper development. I don't know what that means, but this is one of those competitive advantages that the Leafs do have, right? Is that they can afford to, to take a loss on the Marlies as long as it means that, you know, these players are getting games and, and, 
and developing kind of at the speed that the Leafs want them to. Um, and it goes even further, right? Like, what is the ECHL going to look like? Like, I, I don't know how these leagues just kind of shut down for a full year. That doesn't, I don't know, because I think there's enough organizations in the NHL that are going to be willing to foot the bill for their teams, but it's going to cause a massive imbalance, right? Um, but I, I don't know what it looks like yet, but I, I do think that you, if you're a prospect with the Leafs, you have to feel good that you're part of an organization that is willing to, you know, invest and, and place time and resources into development. And, and maybe that's something that will pay off not next year, but three, four or five years down the road when, you know, again, probably because he's front of mind, I just wrote about him, but a player like Christians Rubens gets a full season in the AHL, whatever that looks like, and a player, you know, of his ilk in a different organization doesn't. Right. Um, so it's it's important. and It'll be really interesting to see what the AHL looks like and, and how that kind of affects some Leafs prospects that right now, like, again, a player like Christians Rubens isn't a guaranteed, you know, top six guy two years from now. But that's where this development is, is going to be so critical. Um, so well, be, well, Josh, let me interrupt you on, yeah. on one of the players that I think is more interesting. If if the, the AHL is not normal and James mentioned him before you got on Timothy Lilligren. Um, I like, I, you can talk me into the fact that maybe he'll be in the NHL next year, but like you look at their numbers right now and, and lots can change. Obviously I just don't see it. Like I, I, it doesn't feel like he'll be a regular NHL or next year. And so what does that mean? James, I'll, I'll start with you and then, and Josh, you can kind of follow up. Like, what would that mean for someone like Lilligren who maybe he's not, playing for your NHL team? Maybe you, you rotate him in. Like, what would you do if you were the Leafs, James, with, with someone like Logan? If there's no AHL for all of next season? Yeah, like, I don't know how you do development. Like, I guess you figure something else out, but he's, like, the kind of guy who would be affected. Like, they could be, like, a really big practice squad. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say right now what's going to happen, but I know that there's a lot of uncertainty with the players right now because they don't know what's going to happen in the European leagues. They don't know what's going to happen with college hockey. They don't know what's going to happen with junior hockey. You know, anyone that's below the NHL, there's some uncertainty over when when they're coming back and what it's going to look like when they come back. And, you know, the, the Leafs could be in a situation where they have a full practice squad, like the kind of the way that, you know, NFL teams do. And that, you know, if you're with the Marlies, you're basically essentially scrimmaging and practicing all the time and you get a game twice a month or, you know, I don't think that that's out of the question that uh, some version of that could happen at least to start next season. I wonder if there'd be changes to roster numbers. I'm just, again, just like thinking aloud, like I wonder if, if the NHL considers that, like if it's the worst case scenario and there is no AHL season, if you say, if you up the number of, of players that you can keep. Um, again, there's salary cap implications, so implications. So I don't know what that looks like, but I mean, just to your question about like Lilligren, like what? Let's say best case scenario, there's an AHL season, and most of the teams come back. Like, what? How is he better off in the AHL when, like, at times watching him this season, I, it wasn't that he looked bored or unchallenged, but he just looked so far ahead of the game in the AHL. Like, I, I don't... Yeah, but the problem is, Josh, like, he, it was the opposite in the NHL. Sure. Like, that would be the concern. And there's going to... But there's all kinds of players like that, right? There's 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 always players that are kind of too good. I mean, I, he's not a player that factors into their long-term plans, but, like, Pontus Aberg looked 
so good, but also, you know, disengaged sometimes in the AHL. And he just didn't really look comfortable with the Leafs. Um, I mean, don't you think that he's better served maybe being a seventh guy, maybe, you know, being a no. scratch? No, no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but he's like, he just turned 21. Uh, he has to play, you know what I mean? Like he, him, him being Martin Marincin does him no good and they won't do that. Um, but I just don't know what you do if the season in the HL season isn't normal, how you develop, maybe what you do is like, maybe you just rotate guys in, like maybe you have a six, seven, eight that just trade yeah. places every, every night. I and you prepare to have them play like what, 40 or 50 games a season, right? Yeah. Like that might be the best that you can do. Like, it's just such as you and James are touching on, it's just such an uncertain world like that. You can't really plan at this point what it's going to look like. I just don't think you're, I do know what you mean. Like it, like young players have to play young players in any sport. Like if they want to develop, they have to get minutes. But if the player isn't being challenged, then I, I don't know that, that, that worries me because I don't know how you're supposed to foster improvement in that situation. Right. Like he looked there, he looked okay at times in the NHL, like the games that I saw him, he looked okay. And there were most of the time he just looked off the pace. He looked a bit lost, I guess. And I don't want that to sound harsh, but he, he did. And, and I just, I think that if you kind of throw him into the fire, hopefully he kind of, he catches up a bit, but I, I don't know. I don't know if, if he's better off playing in a league that, that he's clearly beyond now. But I, I, I do also see where you're coming from too, right? Well, let's let's uh, move on to a really good story that you wrote for The Athletic last week. If people haven't seen it, check it out, uh, about Cody Franzen. And Cody Franzen, for James and I, was someone like we covered day to day. We got to know. And his situation was like one of the more peculiar that we've seen in like recent Leaf history in terms of the contract that he did not sign. Uh, it was very clear to us both and lots of people in the market that he was making a mistake. Um, what did you learn from from talking to Cody Franz? And, and I guess we can start with that contract um, that he turned down. Like you painted this um, really interesting scene with Dave Nonis. Maybe you can start there. Yeah, so the – you know, I, I didn't know kind of going in, if I'm being honest, I didn't know going into this conversation. I had two conversations with Cody for the story and I didn't know going into it that he was going to be kind of as upfront and as honest as he was. And it was great that, that he was, but, you know, Cody talked about how he was kind of, um, advised to continually bet on himself. And, you know, that might mean, one-year contract after one-year contract in the hopes that eventually once he gets to UFA, he'll, you know, he'll hit that big payday because his underlying numbers were great. Um, he put up points. He didn't always get the ice time, but there were really promising signs there. Um, he goes into, as he tells it, he goes into Dave Nonis's office um, towards the trade deadline in 2015. And, and Nonis says, look, we, you know, we like you. We want to re-sign you. Um, here's an extension, three years, 4.5 a season. And the way he tells it, he was hoping to come in at 4.5 or 5 a season. But, he, you know, he's in the middle of that 2014-15 season. Even though he ends up getting traded to the Predators, he still leads Leafs defensemen in scoring. So he's having a great season. Um, and the hope is that he's going to hit that big payday. But, you know, he's in Dave Notice's office and he feels inclined to just say, yes, I want to take this deal. 
I love playing in Toronto. I love it here. You know, I'm happy. This is the, the deal I want. This is the deal that's long eluded me, but I should probably just check with my agent. And as he tells it, he was advised by his agent, you know what, we could probably hit a bigger payday. And I remember going back and, and reading some of these articles and James, you wrote something kind of like this for the Globe and Mail where you essentially said re-signing Cody Franz in long term should be the Leafs biggest priority. And I don't know if you listed a number, but some other writers were listing numbers well beyond 4.5 a year. They were saying five plus, maybe 5.5, given how great his underlying numbers were. And he was advised not to take the deal. So he walked away from it. The Leafs said, well, we can't lose you for nothing in free agency. They traded him. It didn't go well when he lands back in Nashville again. And then July 1, the phone doesn't ring. And it's, you know, he sees his comparables, Jeff Petrie, uh, Sakara, all get signed for the long-term deals that he wants, and, and they don't come. And he eventually lands in Buffalo two years at, I think, 3.3 a season. And things don't go well in Buffalo because Buffalo was still kind of in the midst of that those kind of brutal few years that they were going through. And, and it hurts for him. And the, the one thing I learned to answer your question is that how he literally said how like disheartening it is to continually bet on yourself. Like we paint this really inspiring narrative. Like we look at guys like Fred Van Vliet and you know, how you betting on yourself and then having it pay off is like this, this great thing for athletes. And it's, it's, it separates, you know, great athletes from good ones or whatever. Um, but that can be really, really hard having that kind of financial instability right so i think that really took a toll on franz and and i think that's something that, that kind of haunts him to this day right the, your story was a bit heartbreaking to read because you know as jonah said we got to know uh cody franzen pretty well and yeah. you know, he's just such a genuine kind honest person and i'm not surprised that you know he you didn't have a relationship with him but you called him up and he kind of opened his opened his soul a little bit and told you how he felt about everything and went into all the details. And that's, that's kind of the person that he is. And yeah, um, he's one of the examples I often think about when I look at players who try, who leave a good situation where they are to try and hit the jackpot somewhere else. And then it just doesn't work out. And we yeah. see that happen. We see that happen a lot in the NHL where, a player's really happy. They're productive. They're playing with players they like. They're in a city they like. Everything's going their way. The team wants to keep them, but they don't want to kind of they they want a little bit of a hometown discount, or they want a little bit more than the player perceives that they could get in free agency. And then they go somewhere else. And I mean, Franzen's is the most tragic because he didn't even get the big contract. He went to Buffalo where he was not happy at all, and everything kind of went wrong. But. I almost wonder, like reading your story too, I wonder, like, should the Leafs have signed that, offered him that contract? Like, did that make sense? Because if you look at his career after he left Toronto, it didn't really work out that well. So, I mean, it probably wouldn't have mattered because the Leafs would have gone into their tailspin and been terrible in the next few years and kind of went through the rebuild. And Cody Franzen's the kind of person that you would want around or for a rebuild like that. But I just wonder, you know, it didn't, just because he has some, he has, he has good Corsi numbers and those kind of things. Um, I don't know. There were a lot of teams that looked at Cody Franzen and just felt, you know what? Like, we don't feel like he can play on our roster. And you look at what happened with Chicago where, you know, they had him in the minors, you know, partway through a contract where he wasn't really making a lot of money. And I think with Franzen, he's one of those those players that really divides the kind of the eye test and the analytics people because yeah. you know, he's, a big, he's a big guy. Yeah. He doesn't skate. He doesn't skate that well. 
Um, you know, but he holds. He the looks blue line. funny, James. He 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 definitely does. I mean, and like, and that's there were. I remember there were criticisms of him in in junior. I I'm pretty sure he played for Vancouver Giants, and there were criticisms of the way that he played because he was this big guy that never hit anybody and was very not physical and kind of mm-hmm. played this and and wasn't a good skater and um. I don't know. It just seems like a lot of teams, and part of the reason he didn't get the contract in free agency is because a lot of teams didn't believe in Cody Franz. And so it's an interesting thought experiment to go back and think about what would have been if he would have accepted that contract, which for his sake, absolutely he should have. I just wonder what would happen in the, you know, maybe in the Leafs organization, they would have just traded him after a couple of years. He was the, I mean, you kind of touched on this. It's an intangible, but he would have been the kind of player that you would have wanted in that 15, 16 team that was rebuilding that 16 17 team that was just kind of flying by the seat of their pants like he's the kind of guy that that you know again you you kind of almost want those and and i remember talking to guys like komarov and jvr when they went back and played boston for the first time those those guys that um you know had been uh, on that 2013 team that lost to boston you almost want guys like there that that could have attested to how much it would have meant to the city and and that kind of thing. Like, again, these are intangible, so they, they might not matter to everyone, but I think he would have done fine. It, you know, if that three-year deal, if they kept him, it would have been up in 28 at the end of 2018. And he would have been that, you know, he could have been that right shot defenseman that I think the Leafs coveted then. And, and um, yeah, there's, there's things that you, you don't like about his game, but this organization, as I see it, has placed a lot of value on having, good people the right people in in the locker room and i think franzen fits that bill so like you said it's hard not to feel a bit heartbroken by his story um and it's it's evidence that just how one or two decisions that you don't even make that you're advised to make can really change the entire trajectory of your career yeah so the lesson is don't listen to your agent no (laughs) I'm, i'm just kidding that was bad agenting is the conclusion I came to. But it's something we don't see, right? It's something, and and that's kind of what I wanted to to hammer home is that like he wanted to stay. And, and you know, I think a lot of athletes probably have those decisions where they, they're left wondering like what could have been had they just taken control of their, their career, their destiny or whatever, right? Because that wasn't the decision he felt he wanted to make. And, and it, it stays with him. And I bet you, if you started asking a lot of players probably have situations like Franzen's, right? Which is unfortunate, but I guess it's the way it is. Well, you did a really good job on the story. If people haven't read it, go check it out. Uh, you also have a, a story up on another prospect. You've written some good prospect story lately. So for people who haven't seen them, go to the athletic, click on the leaf page and, and find Josh's story. James, I, I think we're we're out of time. Uh, anything else you want to say before we wrap? I'm just I'm just sad I don't have another manscaping.com uh, ad read to do. <laughs> that's 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 my that's what I'm worried about. There, I gave him another plug. And I'll give a plug to the athletic too. Go to theathletic.com/leafreport. Sign up for our free trial. Read our content. Share it with your grandma and your your parents and your friends. And uh, we'll see you in the comment section. So thanks for listening. See you next week.